first song we listened to was Love Like Crazy. And it says there, um, he gave his life away, then he had to go and say, you've got to love the same way that I love you. You've got to love like crazy. And in John 15, verse 12 to 17, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. Yesterday I was sitting just as my mom and I were talking about just the season I was reminded of Corey Sanders. I don't know if you know um, ex-heavyweight world champion, South African boxer, um, uh, an absolute beast of a man, where I think it was, I remember the date, but a couple of years ago, he was celebrating his nephew's 21st birthday out in Brits, and um, they were at a restaurant, a group of armed men came in. And he was standing chatting to uh, his daughter and her cousin. And they started shooting. And he stepped in front of his daughter and got shot in the hand and got shot in the stomach. Pulled her to the floor, lay on top of her and said, just act dead and you're going to be okay. And subsequently gave his life in the process as he protected his daughter. And it's quite an incredible thing because he didn't think twice about what he was doing, but he stepped in front of the bullet so that his daughter might live. The scripture says here that no greater love than this, than someone who lays down his life for his friends. Now this was him protecting his daughter, and what a privilege as a father to be able to stand and do this. But then this morning I found an article about a man by the name of Jacob Farley, 26 years old, and the article reads as follows. A heroic father has tragically died after jumping into a river to save a stranger from drowning. Jacob Farley, 26, from Kansas, U.S., jumped in the Elk River after spotting a woman identified as Madison Caps being swept underwater near the river's dam. When the Knoll Fire Department arrived on the scene, they managed to save the woman, but Jacob unfortunately drowned. Madison told the Miami County Republic that both she and Jacob tried to stay afloat for 30 minutes before the rescue team reached them, Daily Mail reports. She says, I felt his hand on my back as I tried to get on my floaty after going under. Just having him there next to me meant a lot. Without him there... I don't think I would have been able to hold on as long as I did. I'll never forget the sacrifice you made, Caps wrote on Facebook on Sunday. May your soul rest in peace. The young dad's family set up a GoFundMe page to help pay for his funeral costs. He didn't think twice about jumping in to save a complete stranger, the GoFundMe stated. He is a true hero and died saving someone else's life with no regard for his own. 
And this last sentence really, really struck me. It says, Jacob was selfless and brave, and he lived his life the same way he lost it, helping others. He lived his life the same way he lost it, helping others. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. For if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. On Friday, Emmanuel and I were chatting and we were talking about the fact that often the church presents the fact that almost as if Jesus lives for us, that we are the center of his life. But the truth is, Jesus died for us so that we could live for him. And there's a shift in that perspective. And this morning, I want to just go through some characters in the word where Jesus encounters them in and around this time of his crucifixion and his resurrection. And just to see the way in which he did things. He went and gave his life away and then said, you've got to do the same. We're going to love like crazy. And I just love that song. It's, it's, it's fun and it's upbeat. But there's something of the seriousness of our mission and our mandate that comes from that. Because we have the privilege of accepting life because he died for us. So that we might live for him. Love the scene in Narnia. We're a little bit later. You see Edmund fighting in the battle against the, the powers and principalities of the kingdom of darkness. His life was spared by Aslan taking that sacrifice upon himself. And he went and fought for the sake of that kingdom. And that's what it means for us to live for Jesus. I'm going to read um, out of Matthew 27 from verse 15 to 23. And the heading of this little passage is, The crowd chooses Barabbas. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release the crowd, for the crowd, one prisoner whom they wanted. One thing I love about how Jesus does things is his timing is always perfect. It wasn't a coincidence that this crucifixion happened at a time when a prisoner could be released by the governor. So the feast that they're talking about is the Passover feast. It says in verse 16, and they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. If you read through some of the other Gospels, you'll see that he's a robber. You'll see that he's a rebel. He's a murderer. So this is the, the worst of the worst. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him, being Jesus, up. Besides, while he was uh, sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Pilate acknowledges Jesus as the Christ. His wife not, acknowledges him as a righteous man. She says, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas 
and destroy Jesus, to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two of you want me to, what do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. I don't think any one of them understood in, the, in that moment the significance of that statement. And it turns out that his blood was for them and their children. So it goes on to say, Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. I wonder what must have gone through the mind of Barabbas at this time. We see the crowd jeering. We see the high priest obviously calling on the fact that Jesus needs to be the one that is crucified that Barabbas is the one to be released. But I wonder what goes through the mind of Barabbas as he knows the extent of who he is. He knows of this righteous man and his life is exchanged for him who is innocent. And the Bible doesn't go on to speak much about Barabbas and what he did or who he became or where he went, but something about him has captured my attention over this weekend and as I've wondered what must he have gone through? I know that in my own life I am Barabbas and that Jesus took my place when I deserved to be crucified instead of him. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and I know that my sin was significant enough that I should have paid the price yet Jesus chose to take my sin upon himself. But I wonder what Barabbas thought. I wonder what ever happened to Barabbas, if he ever understood the extent of that exchange. The fact that he represented an unbelieving world. The timing was perfect and Jesus didn't do this coincidentally. He knew that this needed to happen as a physical demonstration of what was about to take place in the spiritual. There's a part of Barabbas in each one of us. Reminded of a joke where identical twin brothers were having a discussion in a prison uh, visiting area. The one was in prison, the other one came to visit him, and the one that was in prison says to his brother, do you remember how we were growing up? We always used to finish each other's sentences. And some people just don't know how to tell jokes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, implying that his brother should come and finish his sentence for him. Um, Sorry, dad, dad jokes, guys. I'm sorry. Puns are, puns are, are... I expected more from you, my bud. <laughs> but remember how we were growing up, we always used to finish each other's sentences. And our sentence was exchanged for his. And Jesus, as an innocent man, took ours upon himself. In John 18, verse 1 to 11, I want to go through a couple of different versions of this story just to bring some perspective. There's a couple of little gems in each one. But this is speaking of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he comes to get arrested. 
And there's something significant about what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane and Golgotha and the fact that he crosses over the, the brook of Kidron in between. So first of all, this is just side note, something that I really find interesting. But uh, Gethsemane means oil press. So it was the place where the, the, the olives were crushed. Um, is the area in Gethsemane. So where Jesus goes and he falls to his knees, cries out to the Father, um, not your will, I mean, not my will be done, but your will. If you can take this cup from me, do it. He has this exchange with the Father. The disciples are sleeping, as the Bible says, not even a stone's throw away from where he is. He asks them to rally on his behalf in this moment, inviting them in to this incredible, spiritual, prophetic um, manifestation of years and years gone by waiting for this moment. He invited his disciples to come in. They fell asleep. But he was in a place called the oil press where the olives were crushed. Now, oil often represents anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit in, in the Word. And I think there's something significant about the fact that Jesus knew that his time of crushing was coming. It says that he had to cross the, um, the brook of Kidron. And Kidron means the, the place of final judgment. And then you have Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, which means the skull, and skull represents death. So Jesus had to go from the place of crushing through the final um, place of judgment to get to the point of death. There's something of that just for me has struck me this weekend. As his body was crushed so that he could take the final judgment upon himself through his death to set us free from having to endure that. But going back to this place of Gethsemane, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the, the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I am he. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Can you imagine what must have gone through the head of these people when he utters the words, I am he, and they fall back to the floor coming to arrest this man. You've got to know that he has to go willingly in order for you to be able to get him to where he needs to get to. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go, speaking about his disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I want you to remember Malchus. We're going to get back to him because he's the, the next character that I want to spend some time on. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in a sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Reminds me of that exchange with little Lucy when she pulls out her dagger. She says, let's go to war. And he puts it, puts it away. Just, just take a moment. 
as Peter goes and cuts off this man's ear. Matthew 26, from verse 47 to 56, says, While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. Now remember when Jesus said that um, one of them will betray him, they went through the eleven, and the, uh, all of them called him Lord. Surely not our Lord. Surely not our Lord. But Judas was the only one who said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He was the only one who reduced Jesus to a man when all of the others acknowledged him as Lord. And here we see it again. Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. No greater love than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends. In that moment, Jesus spoke of Judas, the betrayer, as friend, acknowledging that he was laying down his life for him. Friend, do what you have come here to do. They came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Now you've got to know, there's an army that are busy restraining Jesus. The fact that he stood there and was able to turn to Peter and said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then? Should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then the disciples left him and fled. I still wonder why Judas had to kiss Jesus. When Jesus acknowledges that the men who came to seize him have sat under his teaching in the temple. Uh, just a, a, There's a group on um, Instagram, this guy talks about Shower Thought Thursdays. And that's a Shower Thought Thursday. I don't know why Judas had to come and kiss Jesus when those who seized him, he knew. They had sat under his teaching Yet he says that this needed to happen for the scriptures to be fulfilled. The last encounter, in across all four Gospels, I've only chosen three of them for certain reasons. But the last time it says there, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw... What would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. 
looking at that scene in, in um, the Chronicles of Narnia and the evil of that crucifixion scene that takes place. And here it says, this is the, the, the power of darkness. This is your hour, the power of darkness. You can imagine what must have been happening in and around the demonic forces as they must have been jeering like that happened. I don't think that was as far-fetched, even though in the crucifixion, in the physical, it was men standing taunting Jesus. I'm pretty sure that was quite an accurate scene of what was happening in the spiritual. But something about this, I said to you, was remember uh, Malchus, and Jesus stretches out and touches his ear and heals him. He's in the process of being seized. The army's got him. Now, Jesus is often depicted on the cross as quite a, a weak, scrawny kind of guy. He was obviously a strong individual. You don't know that he was a man that was the life of the party. He was a man that no matter who was in authority would speak with authority. Yet he lowered himself as a servant and would humble himself. He would cry over those who were hurting. He's the greatest depiction of a man's man I have ever seen. And here he takes this moment and he recognizes that prophecies were being fulfilled. And this man, Malchus, did not deserve to suffer as a result of it. So he stretches out his hand in the process of being seized and he heals him. And the second character that I want to kind of get into his head is I wonder what must have gone through his mind as he had been taught to hate this man who was coming to cause havoc and yet in a moment received the gift of love through physical touch in a way that could, no one can describe. In the midst of him seizing him and arresting him, Jesus stretches out his hand and touches his ear. He lived his life the same way he lost it, helping others. Just love that, that, just that imagery. And I wonder what Malchus must have gone through. I wonder what happened in the days that followed. I wonder what happened with him when he heard report of the resurrection. As he was touched by the king. And there was this power exchange. The manifest power of God came through and touched his body in that moment. The Bible doesn't give us any indication of what happened. But something about that has struck me as just the heart of Jesus coming through. Jesus died for Barabbas. Jesus died for Malchus. Jesus died for the high priest. Jesus died for Judas. Jesus died for each one of us. And there's something about this time as we go through in the remembrance. On Friday we broke bread and, and we, we, we saw the symbolism of his body being broken and his blood being poured out. And I want to break bread again. But I want to break bread from a different angle. And I'm going to read a story. And then we're going to break bread. But can I ask, would you start uh, maybe just handing them out quickly? Thank you, my bud. John, will you give him a hand as well? Thank you. If you guys can try and listen at the same time. But I just want to read out of Luke 24. 
And the title of this is The Resurrection. And it says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, so Sunday morning, early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Significance of that statement. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all uh, the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them, who told these things to the apostles. It's amazing how at that time, a woman's testimony was not valid in court. So if a woman came to testify, it wouldn't be deemed to be the truth and an eyewitness because women were not allowed to testify in court. And yet, it was the ladies who were chosen to bring about the testimony of what was happening. I just love how Jesus does things so on his head and upside down and so against or so counterculture at that time. And it says, and... And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to, to them an idle tale, and they did not believe him. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. They had heard Jesus speak of this, but yet they still did not have the full revelation of what it meant. When Jesus broke bread with them in the upper room, they had a, a picture of what was to come, but they did not understand the fullness of it. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and, and they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near, and went with him. wonder how many moments in our darkest time Jesus himself draws near and goes with us. He says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened in these days. These men were broken, they were mourning. They had heard the good news that Jesus had been resurrected. But their hearts had not caught up. It says, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. Not Lord, not the Christ, a man who was, past tense, a prophet. 
mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, had, past tense, that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had lost all hope. And the Lord had been reduced to a man who was a prophet in past tense. And their hope was gone. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those um, who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. My prayer over us this morning is we will have moments where Jesus himself interprets to us all the things in the scriptures concerning himself that we will have such a supernatural revelation because he himself is the one who looks after his word and brings it to fruition in our lives. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? May our hearts burn within us as he talks to us, and he opens up the scriptures. May our eyes be opened, and may we see the fullness of who the Savior is. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Seven miles, they turned around and went back. Out of sheer excitement, their hearts had shifted from sadness and lacking hope. But all of a sudden, their hope was restored. He who was, is now, alive and well. And it says, And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them. Uh, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. They told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So I want to close off, I want to pray for us, and I want us to, to break bread together, but... May we be a people who live our lives in the same way that we lose it. May we be a people who recognize that Jesus gave his life for us, that we could live our lives for him. May we be like Corey Sanders, may we be like Jacob Farley. May we be a people 
who don't think twice about jumping in to save a complete stranger. May we make the exchange for Barabbas. May we touch the ear of Malchus. May we refer to the Judas's friend. And may we walk along the road with Jesus, knowing full well that he is alive, operating in us and through us for his glory. Lord Jesus, we celebrate your life. We celebrate your death. Father, we give thanks for the price that you paid so that we as Barabbases might be saved. I thank you, Lord, for your desire to reveal more of who you are to us, to open scriptures, Father, that as we open your word, Lord, I pray, Father, that the, the living word on these pages, Father, will just penetrate our hearts and be written there for eternity. Lord, I pray against any blind spots that we might have, that in this moment right now, as we break bread together, that our eyes will be opened and we will see the fullness of who you are. I pray that we will live our lives with a supernatural boldness and a courage for you, King. I pray that we will be people who speak with authority, even to those in authority. I pray that we will be people who will get on our knees and wash the feet of those who betray us. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Lord, I pray that these words will ring true in our lives. So as we break this bread, as we drink of this cup, Lord Jesus, I pray that we will never forget the price that you paid and the fact that the tomb is empty, the cross is bare, and you, King, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, are alive and well. And not only that, but you've blessed us with the privilege of sharing in your identity, co-heirs with Christ. May the revelation of who we are in you set us free and release us to bear much fruit as we abide in you, King. In Jesus' name, amen.